Hello, Marvelites! You are listening to This Week in Marvel, episode number 548, and I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Lorraine Sink, Queen of the Dogs! (laughs) Can I tell you, Ryan, Uh before we get into anything, we have not one dog, not two dogs, but we have three dogs in our house this week because we are watching my sister-in-law's dog, Moose, who is a new addition to her family, but she is doing a little vacation. So we are watching three dogs. And let me tell you, one dog is about like one dog. Two dogs is about like four dogs. And three dogs is like a herd of dogs. <laughs> and they all have different needs and they all want to eat each other's food. And everyone feels like they are being slighted when they're not being petted. So everything here is great. But honestly, you know what? I love it. I'm never without a dog. I have so much attention. I'm thriving, truly. Yeah. As someone with five cats in the house, I understand and it's fine. <laughs> Let's get into things because this is the official Marvel podcast where we talk about what's happening this week in Marvel, whether it's games, comics, movies, TV, or whatever we are excited about. And there's a lot to be excited about. What's going on this episode? This week is the 20th anniversary of Marvel Legends, the awesome action figure line that so many of us know and love. We're going to talk a lot more about it later on with our friends from Hasbro and Jesse Falcon from here on the Marvel Disney team, who has been with it since the very beginning. And we only have a couple of days before a certain magical film is in theaters. So it's a big week. I can't wait, Lorraine. It's it's very exciting. Um, So speaking of Marvel Studios' Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, this week we learned there's a red carpet world premiere of the film coming live from Hollywood. You can go to marvel.com slash strange premiere or watch it live on Marvel's YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, and or Twitch. I mean, we're going to be broadcasting everywhere Monday, May 2nd at 8 p.m. Eastern. 5 p.m. Pacific, which is great. It's super fun. We'll have wonderful uh, hosts out there doing their thing, doing the talkie-talkie, and lots of great folks from the film and from the Marvel Cinematic Universe and beyond. It's going to be a happening, as they would say in wrestling back in the day. Yeah, and there are going to be a lot of great people on the carpet, so definitely go watch and tweet along, text along, tick talk along. Leave us comments is what I'm trying to say. Ain't no party like a Marvel party because a Marvel party got all the stars. Um, So go enjoy it. There's going to be lots of interviews and behind the scenes stuff going up on Marvel.com and our social channels. I'm just ready for this movie to rock the fan base, rock the audience, rock the world. Lorraine, I sent in a bunch of questions for the premiere. Did you do you know that they made it in? There were questions like, how many teeth do you have? Um, um, what color is your tongue? You Which know way what? does Those the wind are... blow? Um, yes, Ryan, I can say that all of those questions Great. made it, it'll be up to the host what they end up asking in the end, in the moment, you know, because you never know what's going to happen in the thrill of the moment. So um, hopefully they'll ask about their toes and teeth and whatever else. Toes you and teeth. Know. That's the red carpet premiere for me. And don't forget to grab your tickets right now. They are for sale. You got to get those good seats while they're worth getting. Marvel Studios Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness is only in theaters and that's starting May 6th. Next weekend, trust me, you don't want to miss this film. And also, please, no spoilers. Like, if if you get to see it first, don't go out and spoil it. Be cool. Not everybody can get there on opening night Yeah, in the first showing. Yeah, of course. And if you want more Strange Tales to explore the Marvel multiverse with, go check out Marvel Unlimited, our subscription service that gives you access to 29,000 digital comics and counting and is available for $60 for the first year with the code... M U save 60. That's M U S A V E six zero. Visit marvel.com slash unlimited for more details. Yeah. So much strange, but you know what? Before mm. we even get there, Marvel studios, moon Knight episode five is now available Oof. to watch on Disney plus. I need a hug. It's a... I need kind words. I have feels. It's a great episode, but it's a heavy yes. episode. It was I had listened to an interview on the Empire podcast with the core cast of the show, and I believe Oscar Isaac said that he was given the scripts for episode one and five at the start to sort of sell him on the show. He immediately was like, yes, I'm in. This show is something special, which is true. It's like, no spoilers. Again, we don't want any spoilers here, but like... 
It's a big one. And it makes sense because next week is the finale. So go watch it only on Disney Plus. Get caught up. As of next Wednesday, you can watch the whole series in one shot if you haven't started it yet, which I know some people like to wait and watch the whole thing wrapped in a blanket, eating (laughs) tortilla chips, which is my personal. That sounds so good. Right? That's next week. Right now, you can visit marvel.com slash must-haves for all the merches. There's also some great new posters of the cast on marvel.com. So go check out all of the stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And look, if you also just want to eat nachos and hang out, maybe you want to listen to a great podcast. How about Marvel Squirrel Girl, the unbeatable radio show? Because you can now listen to the first two episodes of this wonderful, delightful fiction podcast wherever you get your podcast. But... Lorraine, there's another episode, right? Yeah, episode three, The Sinister Six Are No More, is out right now for subscribers to the SiriusXM app and Marvel Podcasts Unlimited on Apple Podcasts. It's a great episode. So if you are subscribed to either Sirius or Marvel Podcasts Unlimited, you can listen to an early episode right now. And in fact, just to give you guys a little taste, a little tease, here is a little preview. I promise I will do better at crime. That's not what I meant, Vinar. You know that. New York will soon tremble before the shockwave blasts of the giant-sized shocker. (laughs) So are you known as the regular-sized shocker now? No, just the shocker. It's not like a small, medium, and large thing. Do feel free to punch up our theme song, Freestyle Love Supreme. Broadway hip-hop group co-created by Lin-Manuel Miranda just gave you rap tips, Doreen. And you were in the room where it happened. I was in the room. I was in the room. The Sinister Six are no more. We are the Frightful Five now. I wish she'll rue the day she meddled in our affair. The Scorpion wants you to know that you'll rue the day you meddled in our affairs. I'm I'm sorry, how are we meddling? You're stealing more art! Am I? Oh my god, when will I learn? Super great, wonderful. Plus, I hope everybody has watched the music video for the opening theme song. It is so wonderful. It is a true triple D, a ding dang delight. Check that out. I want to shout out Derek Charm did the art for that. He, of course, did the art for the Squirrel Girl series and all of our key art, basically all the art that goes with the logos and stuff for the show. But he did a really fabulous job. Also, shout out to Justin Huertas and Stephen Tran, who wrote the theme song. Plus, of course, Ryan North, who wrote the lyrics. It's so fun. Let's keep it rolling on to talk about more podcasts because... Episode one of the new season of the Women of Marvel podcast has just released, and this season is all about our characters then and now. This week, the Women of Marvel are talking about Peggy Carter, and particularly the fan favorite Captain Carter version of her. You know, most of our characters get their start in the comics, but... Captain Peggy Carter was actually born in the games Mm -hmm. in Marvel Puzzle Quest, which is super, super cool. And in this episode, we're going to learn about how she was designed in the game and how she made her way into the comics and more. It's very, very cool. Check out their podcast Thursdays on SiriusXM, Marvel Podcasts Unlimited on Apple Podcasts, or, or wherever you get your podcasts. But also, Ryan, I have to tell you, sometimes the internet is over here giving me what I need and trying to make me cry. And what that means is that I was watching a video and there was a young woman dressed up as Peggy Carter at Disney California Adventure Park Mm -hmm. at the new Avengers campus. And Captain America was there and she was wearing her like little Peggy Carter casual cosplay. And she went up to him and she's like, I'm really nervous. Like she was talking to the camera. I'm really nervous. And then she walks up to Captain America and asks him to dance and he walks over with her and they dance and I cried. (laughs) It was so nice. Why why the internet trying to do this to me? (sighs) Well done, internet. It's so sweet. Yeah, that's real cute. Real, real cute. You know what's also cute? Conversations about the greatest comic book story of all time, X-Men Executioner Song. And boy, oh boy, we got super cute this week on Marvel's Pull List 
Part two of our reading club with Captain America writer Tochian Yabuchi was up this week. We were talking about the second half of X-Men Executioner Song. And one of the things that has been so, so fun for me is validation. Okay. All the people coming out and being like, I'm so glad you talked about this story. I thank you for talking about this story. Honestly, I've gotten a ton of tweets and, and responses from our listeners because they're like, this is the story that really made me a, a huge fan. I haven't read the story in 30 years or whatever it was. Or some people are like, I've never read this before. And it was incredible because it is. It's so good. I will talk about this story left, right, upside down, backwards. Anyone who wants to listen to me talk about it, go check it out over on Marvel's Pull List. Subscribe wherever you get your shows. But also our picks of the week this week are some really good comics. Amazing Spider-Man number one, Knights of X number one, and Thor number 24. Listen to the show to find out why we tell you to go pick those books up. And over on the show, we've got some really fun stuff cooking up soon. Next week should be a pretty heavy week for Marvel's pull list, so make sure you're subscribed. Yeah. Oh, so you know, I was talking about Disney Parks a minute ago, mm -hmm. and I don't know if you heard, Ryan, but Terry Crews is joining Guardians of the Galaxy Cosmic Rewind, the yeah. new attraction, playing the character Centurion Talmeric. He's commander of the Star Charter, and he also happens to be a close advisor to Nova Prime, once again played by... Glenn Close, which is amazing. <laughs> and he's going to be finding himself calling on the Guardians for assistance because it's, you know, save the galaxy time again. So that should be super duper fun. Of course, we've talked a bit about Guardians of the Galaxy Cosmic Rewind. It is a brand new family thrill coaster developed by Walt Disney Imagineers just for this attraction. It's a story coaster which is really cool. It's going to rotate 360 degrees throughout the attraction, so you can always be focusing on the action. And additionally, it's going to feature a reverse launch on the coaster, which has never been seen before in Disney parks. It's going to be one of the longest enclosed coasters in the world, which means it's going to match the enormous scale of the Adventures of the Guardians of the Galaxy films. I'm very excited about this. I love me a roller coaster. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Last week we talked about the soundtrack and, and just mm -hmm. as more details come to light about this, I get more and more excited. Yes. It will be open on May 27th at Epcot at the Walt Disney World Resort in Florida. Let's talk about something real cool for our team over here at Marvel Digital. We won some Webby Awards. Marvel's Long Story Short is a Webby winner and Webby's People's Voice winner in video, how-to, explainer, and DIY, which is really great. Marvel Unlimited, the service we talk about every single episode because it's so good, it won a Webby People's Voice winner in apps and software. And Ask Marvel, a great series that we helped launch years ago and has been going strong ever since, is a Webby People's Voice winner in social for best social video series. That one is always super fun because it's you, dear Marvel fan, get to submit questions and we ask them to great people. It's super fun. Congrats to everybody. Great work all around. Also a fun thing that's a super bargain in my personal opinion, Marvel Multiverse, the RPG Playtest Rulebook is now available. You can get it at your local comic shop, your game stores, wherever you can get collected edition of the comics. And it's only 10 bucks, and it's a new RPG tabletop game in the spirit of games like Fiasco or D&D &D or, or that kind of thing. You don't need any equipment. You really just need the test playing book and some humans and a couple of dice. Actually, I think technically three dice, but it's super fun. We're going to have on game designer and writer Matt Forbeck on the show very soon. As you guys know, probably by now, I am an enthusiast for role-playing games. So it's in my heart and soul. I find that having a small child means I have to make up stories constantly. And so it really has been helpful training for doing the Marvel Multiverse RPG because I have a lot of stories about Rhino particularly because Catherine, her favorite characters are all the characters from Spidey and his amazing friends, and she loves the villains. So it's like Rhino, Doc Ock, and Green Goblin are the stars of all her, her stories. So it's going to be great. Let's dive into our interview this week because we have a big one. We are celebrating 20 years of Marvel Legends. And to join us, we have principal designer for Marvel Legends, Dwight Stahl. We have senior manager, global product development and marketing for Hasbro's Marvel Legends, Ryan Ting, and director of product design, Hardlines for Disney Consumer Products, Jesse Falcon. Jesse is also 
one of the creators of Marvel Legends 20 years ago mm -hmm. when he was part of Toy Biz and Marvel. So it's a great trio to have with Lorraine and I. We look at the history of the line. We talk about the various characters, the waves, the our favorites, the memories. And we play some games, Ryan. Look, if, if you are a Marvel Legends collector, I think you're going to get a big kick out of this one. And if you don't know anything about the history of the brand and the toys, this is a fun one because we really dig into what makes it so special. So let's check it out. Lorraine, are you ready to get weird? I was born weird. Yes, you were. <laughs> so were our three guests. Let's bring them on right now because we are celebrating Marvel Legends this week. And they've all been on the show at least once. So please remind us who you are and what you do. We're going to start with you, Dwight. Hey, I'm Dwight Stahl. I'm a principal designer at Hasbro. I work on the Marvel license and I do whatever Ryan and Jesse tell me to do. Well, let's talk to the other Ryan, Mr. Ryan Ting. Hey, I'm the other Ryan. I am the senior manager, global product development and marketing for Hasbro on the lovely Marvel Legends line, which we are excited to talk about today. And last but not least, hey folks, ye old Jesse Falcon. How you doing? I'm Jesse Falcon. I've been working for Marvel for a while, doing toy design and development, and it's the greatest part of my day when I get to work with Ryan and Dwight and the entire Hasbro team on Legends because it's so much fun. Well, we're very lucky to have our three illustrious guests here because we are celebrating 20 years of Marvel Legends. That's so many years. That's more than a Billie Eilish, at least. <laughs> that is a whole dang human life. And since we're going to be talking about the history of Marvel Legends, you know, we're going to be throwing around some technical terms, some names. So briefly, Ryan Ting, why don't you... Talk us through a little bit of who are some of the companies you guys are going to be talking about, some of the power players, and what are Marvel Legends for anyone who is not already up to their elbows in beautiful action figures? Yeah, so just to start it off, right, Marvel Legends is a six-inch scale action figure line started by Jesse and the team over at Marvel and Toy Biz, which I'm sure we will get to. But if you flash forward to today, you know, we make a whole lot of action figures based on the fantastic Marvel comic books, video games, entertainment, television, and of course, movies. So in recent years, too, we've expanded beyond the six-inch scale action figures and are into some other fun things like premium role-play items. But there's basically two big eras, right? You talk about the start of Marvel Legends in 2002 back at Toy Biz, and then Hasbro picked it up, carried the baton since 2007. Jesse could tell us more about the origins of Marvel Legends, and Dwight was there for when Hasbro picked it up in 2007. Yeah, 20 years. Flew by. But what an incredible thing to have had the honor to work on something for this long. It's crazy. People out there in the world apparently love tiny plastic people. So we, keep, <laughs> we are well into making them for our 20th year, which is super exciting. We started it with a company called Toy Biz. We were going to make some Spider-Man characters. We had kind of like intentionally not made Spider-Man characters in anticipation of the very first Spider-Man movie with Tobey Maguire that Sam Raimi made. So we decided to just make a collectible line of action figures, which we knew collectors liked some of our action figures, but we had never really made one just for collectors before. And we did that. It was very successful. And we decided to open it up for the rest of the Marvel Universe. And the woman who I reported to back then and still do, Still the great honor to report into Joanne McLaughlin said, why don't we call it Marvel Legends? And the name was there. And we made them for many years. And boy, it was a lot of fun. And it's been a very cool, interesting journey to see it go from so many different stages and different manufacturers in different places. So it's a great honor to be here 20 years later to be talking about it. Jesse, as a fan and collector of Marvel Legends from the start, you know, I'm interested and I've heard you talk about this in our various chats, but can you just maybe give a little bit of background on the form factor, like how you guys settled on a six inch scale figure with articulation that had never really before been done and has now become the standard for a lot of other toy lines out there? Yeah, when the Legends form factor came out there, I remember getting test shots for Spider-Man for the first time and taking pictures of it with a digital camera that had a disc and looking at the pictures going, wow, this is like, you could really pose these very well. I ended up staying in the office way too late doing that, ran through all the discs. So I had, was coming back from Comic-Con and I had just purchased some 12-inch action figures. You know, if you look at the way that they are, were articulated, these are the kind of figures that like Hot Toys makes that have like, you know, really elaborate costumes put on them and are 
lovely dear departed friend Eddie Wires was a big fan of these. He was a great painter for many years for Toy Biz and huge part of the Marvel Legends Genesis. He had turned me on to some of these bodies and I'm looking at the body and I'm like, I bet we can do this at six inches, like make it half the size and still keep all the fidelity of this movement. And it worked out and it stuck and we've been having fun with that ever since. Dwight, were you a collector of the line before you got into it in 2007? Yeah, actually, I bought the very first wave Iron Man. That was the first Marvel Legends that I picked up back in those days in the early 2000s. A big crew of us, every week, would go down the street to KB Toy Works. We'd go to a Chinese buffet for lunch, and then we'd walk over to the Toy Works, and we just would go through the toy aisles at least once a week. And that's when we first saw the first wave one of Marvel Legends. And Iron Man was one of my favorite characters as a kid. It was like one of those first characters that my parents bought me comic books for. So that was the first one that I grabbed up and bought a uh, shop knife to open the clamshell packaging, which was impenetrable by most (laughs) means. Broke that bad boy out and then just kind of really, really got my first taste and appreciation for that much articulation on that six inch scaled figure. I love that you mentioned the KB there. And Lorraine, you and I, we always talk to people about their origin stories and we hear about their comic shops and stuff, but we don't ever hear about people and their like toy store that they went to when they were picking up, whether as a collector or as a kid. And I, when you said KB Toy Works, Didn't it I take immediately you got transported to the KB that I went to <laughs> in the shopping center on Long Island and like walking through and I can close my eyes and see the Toy Biz Fantastic Four and Silver Surfer lines. And like, that's where I got the Galactus. Lorraine, you've been collecting toys and stuff like that. Do you have a place like that? I also went to KB Toys in the Valley Plaza Mall in Bakersfield, California. Man, that I haven't heard someone say KB Toys. Like that part of my brain had been dormant for 20 plus years <laughs> until you said that. Now, flashing back a little bit too. Now, in 2005, Build-A-Figures, what was the ultimate motivation? How did that first come about back in 2005? When we first started making Marvel Legends, it wasn't just a six-inch action figure. There were accessories. We had a base. And one of the thoughts that we had with the original Spider-Man classic is we had sold a lot of action figures that people typically put on a shelf. So we had built a pinhole in the back so that you could put them in a cool Spider-Man pose and put a pin into a cork board and hang it on there so he would actually hang from the wall. So we wanted to continue that. We did that with all of the Marvel Legends for the first couple waves. One of the other things that we put, we put a comic book in there about that character. So if you didn't know who the character was, you know, there's a really interesting story that was a cool deep dive on that character. And after a couple waves, I have to blame Damon Nee, who was one of the other project managers at Toy Biz, had made the Sentinel that was going to be a 12-inch figure that never got off the ground. It never saw the light of day. And there's a lot of that where you know, the toys that never got made. And I was looking at it and it was kind of like all over his desk in pieces. And I started to like, look at the legs and the arms. I'm like, you know what? That's about the same amount of plastic as one of these accessory bases. I said, what if we got rid of the accessory base, which sometimes people don't really use, and we smuggle a larger scale action figure in the wave. And this way you have to buy the whole wave. When we launched the first wave of Legends figures, there were four characters that we made from scratch. Three of them we made new. One of them was an older tool that we made Iron Man, Hulk, and Captain America. The fourth one was Toad, which was part of an existing line that looked really cool, but it didn't have the same type of articulation. And in the toy industry, you're always trying to amortize your tooling. So we were like, let's throw Toad in there. So that was part of the first wave. And when I went to go see how the line was doing at the Toys R Us in Times Square, RIP, there was just a whole wall of Toad. And I was like, wow, that means that like people were buying all the others because we only put Toad one per case of those four cases. I'm like, these things are doing really well based on how many single Toads are here. And there was a whole wall of them. So that helped eliminate the, what we call peg warmers by kind of encouraging people to buy every one, but also giving you this experience whereby you can build a lovely scale with the types of products you can make and put in the marketplace. I'm so sad for the Toad figures, like the Mortimer Toynbee fan club (laughs) out there, which is like tens of people probably should have descended upon that Toys R Us to get those figures back in the day. We were just talking about the build of figures. I would love to go around the horn, see what everybody, if you have a favorite soft spot or favorite of the build of figures from across these 20 years, I'll start because of course it's going to be MODOK. Jesse, what about you? Caliban comes to mind. What a weirdo character. And I love that character so much, especially when he went from like a little golem Lord of the Rings type character into a big meathead juggernaut dude. (laughs) 
Yeah, I think for me, I really fell in love with that original Sentinel from Toy Biz. It was like of the Toy Biz era. I think that thing just the amount of deco that was on that figure, I think, surpasses any legend ever before or since. It was just absolutely insane with the amount of beauty that was put into that. So I think that from the origins, I would say Sentinel from modern day. I like when we can do something weird and bizarre and unexpected. I think that's a lot of fun. So while I am excited about Bonebreaker coming out, I think of the modern era, I'd have to go with Sugar Man just because it was so disgustingly weird and beautiful and beautiful yeah the proportions were just so gross and to be able to sculpt that uh, uvula inside of his mouth just (laughs) hanging down was just kind of a personal uh bit of joy to have that put into there because you don't often get to go that deep into uh, some of the different anatomy pieces of an action figure so that was cool doesn't his hammer say sugar on it yeah which is just a great accessory for anyone yeah (laughs) Ryan Tang, what about you? For my choices, I'll have to go uh, Blob. So that was in the early Hasbro days. Apocalypse, because the Toy Biz one was was very tall. We did kind of a more human-sized Apocalypse, you know, characters like the Juggernaut. But I changed my answer to Venom Pool. Let the (laughs) records show that I said Venom Pool. No, but something I wanted to say just, too, for the Build-A-Figure, like, it's ideally, right, you know, a collector goes and they can go buy the entire wave all at once and and build a figure. But sometimes that's not possible. Maybe you don't find them all at once, or maybe you don't choose to get them all at the same time. What the Build-A-Figure as a marketing hook does is it's something that's aspirational, right? It keeps you coming back. Or, you know, we've seen these communities develop online with buy, sell, and trade, you know, who's looking for this piece, right? And, And it's this nice little additional layer that brings the fans together. And it's something for us all to kind of aspire to. So that's what I appreciate most about the Build-A-Figure. Lorraine, do you have a fave? I feel like there was a really good Fing Fang Foom one that was a big boy. Mm. And I love a beefy Build-A-Big. Build-A-Big. <laughs> no, I like Build-A-Big. Build-A-Big. Beefy Build-A-Big. You know he, them. He was big. He was, I think, or maybe still is the reigning champ as far as Build-A-Figures go in size. Without a doubt. Yeah, he was two waves worth of Hulk scaled product to make Fin Fang Foom. If you could, which you can't, but if you took like a fabric tape measure, I think he measured around 29 inches from tail to nose with all of the twists and turns of his tail and neck and stuff. So, man, I really do hope I get another shot at him before my tenure is done because all the learnings from what that was 2008 in those early growing pain years of Marvel Legends for the Hasbro team. And with everything we've learned and all that we've seen and come through since then, man, that could be quite an epic beast to do nowadays. So in 2007, the Marvel license was secured by Hasbro. What was it like picking up Marvel Legends where Toy Biz had left off? And what were some of those early new learnings and challenges and triumphs as you took on the brand? I think if I was a smarter person, I probably would have been terrified (laughs) because for five years running, it was quickly becoming one of those super sought after collectibles, right? It's like every few months you were super stoked to see what that next wave of legends was going to be. And it was pre-internet being what the internet is today. But you were getting a lot of fan swirl and excitement around this brand. And when we got the license for Marvel for 2007 launch product. We were looking at all the things in the portfolio that were, you know, working in the past. And there was different teams that got assigned to different pieces of it. And some of the big beats like Spider-Man was obviously going right to a kid team for development. And then Legends was... When you say a kid team, you mean like a team of 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 children scientists that are like (laughs) designing the toys and stuff? I love it. Yes, yes, children scientists. Yeah, back then we were developing toys under two basic umbrellas. There was kid product and collector product back then. I did both at that time. I was doing Superhero Squad, which is still one of my favorite Marvel things I've ever had a chance to work on. And I was also tapped to work on Marvel Legends. And I had never worked on a six-inch scaled line before. Prior to that, all of my figural expertise was three and a quarter inch from G.I. Joe and some Indiana Jones and some Star Wars exclusives and things like that. So it was very different just to say, oh, okay, this is something that's, you know, been going really strong and it's big and it's different. And thank goodness, you know, Jesse was there to help 
guide our team and show us what this brand was about. In those early years, we tried a lot of different things. We tried some things that worked and some things that didn't work with different types of articulation, different levels of accessories. We ventured from comic book-based characters to some theatrical and legends. In the early waves, we had like X3 characters, Juggernaut, Colossus, Jean Grey from X3. And like Jesse said earlier, toy lines don't just end. Jesse had another wave or two worth of sculpts that were at different levels of completion planned to come out just in the natural progression of the line. And that was all turned over to our team as kind of like, you know, here's some stuff that you can look at and use as a jumping off point because, you know, a lot of hard work's already been done and it's going to be very beneficial for us to not have to start from scratch right out of the gate, which was, I mean, that's the, the Annihilus Build-A-Figure. That was 100% Jesse's team's development. I think we, all we had to do is scale it to where we wanted it for the actual build-up. And that's just one example. There was a whole bunch of those early figures were, you know, turned over to us. And we dove into those. When we were making new characters, we tried different articulation systems. And the fans told us, don't do that. We don't <laughs> like that. And we don't want to see that again. And we were like, you know, it was a little bit slower for us to get on the uptake because then we got our information through. Here's another blast from the past. Toy Fair magazine, right? We didn't go to forums and get immediately hit by what people wanted. We had to wait every month for a magazine to arrive, what was working and what wasn't. And kind of very slowly learning from all of those different places, what was working and what wasn't, helped us kind of realign how we wanted to go forward with the design side of the product. Dwight, you mentioned you had some experience on the three and three quarter scale lines and even for a time, Hasbro focused on a three and three quarter line of Marvel action figures with Marvel Universe and sort of the Legends name took a little breather for a while. And I love the Marvel Universe line. I thought that line was super fun. I mean, it's crucial to me because I was a G.I. Joe kid like so many. And so that scale was so fun and you got so many great characters in it. But the Marvel Legends line came back 2012 with the return of Marvel Legends. So when you guys, the teams, everybody working on these look to bring back legends what did you want to do differently how did you look to evolve marvel legends at that point well over those first four to five years of learning what we found was in order for legends to be sustainable and profitable for us we had to figure out a system that we could use going forward that allowed us to make a lot of deep cuts quickly and efficiently so we decided let's throw away a lot of our thinking from the past and let's create some new base buck systems that we can use over and over again. What is a base buck system? Uh, the, the, <laughs> the, the bodies that everybody talks about are like bucky cap. It was a basically a nude form that we were able to then slap different types of gloves, a different belt, a different head, and do a lot of those base suit characters over and over again without having to tool a character 100% every time. Once you so make the figure... if I could jump in, Dwight, yeah. just to explain this a little bit more and give words to it. So if you remember the old Star Wars 3 and 3 quarter inch action figures or the G.I. Joe 3 and 3 quarter inch action figures, many different action figures and even early Toy Biz ones were built on a buck system. And the reason that that is is because you want all of your characters to be able to universally fit into vehicles, play sets, with inside of a system that you would build. And that's something that Toy Biz really didn't do. All of our sculpts we had built from scratch. And Hasbro found their own way in. It took a couple of years for us to get to the point where we're like, how do we debug this for all parties? And I think that that was, that was how we got there. Absolutely. And it gave us the starting points, which was Bucky Cap and Hyperion were like, you know, a normal guy. And then a bigger guy. And a couple of years later, we kind of did the same thinking for our females with our silk and our moonstone bodies. And once we had all of these bodies, one, it allowed us to have some consistency across the line. All of those standard people were all about the same height. And once we had those bodies cooked and were able to use them over and over again, it allowed us to then look at the budget we had for each wave into how we would attack something new and different bigger, weirder, unique characters, the monsters, the androids, the what have you, you know, something that was couldn't be done off of a base system. It needed to be 100% special and, and unique. And then that's kind of been the formula for the most part that we've kept all the way till today, where 
we use these amazing uh, start base figures to create all of those types of characters that you can. And then that allows us to focus on those all new special weird things like brood queens and Ultrons and Dr. Dooms that are outside of those kind of base buck systems. Now, you folks have been working on the series for quite a while, and not only has the series evolved, but obviously the base material has evolved. And in that, I mean, we have an expanded, ever-growing Marvel Cinematic Universe. And now there are action figures that are inspired by the things that are happening out in the zeitgeist beyond the comics, beyond even cartoons or the things that we have experienced growing up. What has it been like getting to incorporate the MCU into the Marvel Legends line? And has it changed any of the day-to-day practicality of making figures? Just to set the stage for this, there have been other, you know, six-inch forms, both by Toy Biz and Hasbro, tied to the films. But if we're talking, you know, Marvel Legends branded. So 2014 was the first time that there was actually a MCU live-action Legends wave. And so there were three, actually. There were for Captain America, the Winter Soldier, the first Guardians of the Galaxy film, and the Amazing Spider-Man 2. So as kind of, you know, the historian on, on the Legends team now, like, I look back, and that was really the watershed moment. When Hasbro came to us in 2014, and they're like, hey, we have an idea for Legends, and, you know, we're going to do all five members of the Guardians of the Galaxy with Groot as the bill of figure it changed everything for us. It really did. And what else has changed is the volume of the content that has coming out of the Burbank office. It is a 52-week-a-year program now. So, And it's not just that, Lauren, to your point. It, there are video games. There are animated TV shows. And we go back and look at other things as well, you know, classic programs like the Tohei Spider-Man. There's all these different access points for us to get into the Marvel brand, which has just been a fantastic thing to have the brand grow. And really for that to kick off really when we had our partnership in 2007 with Hasbro, because that's really when the first Iron Man movie launched, the MCU was created, and there was a lot of trepidation in 2007. You know, like what was going to happen? Was Legends going to survive? We didn't know, but like we worked together and it was a great partnership and it's grown. So hats off to the Hasbro team. Talking about these though, it's also the evolution of the technology and the overall quality and like, I get these figures, you know, inspired by the characters in the MCU and the films. It's like a little version of this actor that I've seen on screen in six inch scale. And then I've experienced some of these actors looking at their figures, looking at the sculpts and just being like, wow, it's a really cool thing. It's got to be fun for all of you too to see this and then know that a lot of these folks will have these and put them up and be like, that was this like snapshot of who they were in a 3D item that they can pick up five years, 10 years, 20 years later. It's a neat little piece of history for everyone. We saw some raw footage this morning of one of the actors enjoying their action figure. Can't say who, but the public will see it soon. And boy, that was just honestly like I had to turn my camera off because I was getting emotional looking at someone's raw reaction to the job that was done. And Ryan, you're absolutely correct. And I talked about 12-inch scale action figures. You know, that's twice the size of that real estate to put decoration and sculpting on is a lot easier to capture someone's likeness. So what Hasbro's doing is a lot more difficult. They've made incredible technological strides in the last couple of years with digital printing to just, I mean, make the likenesses so stunning. It's really cool to see people react that way. Yeah, I mean, they have the technology change from in order to sculpt a figure 15 years ago, you had to go to Google and try to find pictures of what that person looked like from different angles and points of view to now, not always, but quite often we get scan data provided to us from Marvel Studios. Since so many of the actors go through all of the, you know, amazing CGI and all the extra layers that go into a movie, they all get scanned now. So in many cases, we can get scan data, you know, raw data of that actual actor in 3D space that we can turn over to our sculpting teams as a starting point. And while there's still a lot of work that needs to be done for cutting in the articulation and working on the expressions, having that data of this is where this person's eyes are and their nose and their ear placement. And it's all simple little things, but that's what makes each one of us us, right? Is those little differences and unique details that don't translate from one of us to the other. So to have that as a starting point, and then the photoreal technology we're using now on the faces, it's really um, taking the toys to a whole nother level. And 
I mean, I can't wait to see what we come up with over the next five years, you know, thinking about how much stuff we've done just over the last five. Can't wait to see what comes next. Well, speaking of uh, what comes next, what comes next, guys? What is on the horizon for Marvel Legends? What can you tease us in the in the coming days? So, you know, Jesse spoke to that very first wave of Marvel Legends. So to kind of bring it full circle here, we are celebrating the 20th anniversary this year. We have an awesome program that is recreating as faithfully as we can those first original four figures. We started with Captain Iron Man and then got to Hulk. They are all on these very nostalgic blister card packages. You know, we couldn't really put a, a highly detailed diorama base in there, but we did recreate it with a nice display stand in that Marvel Legends style logo that holds a reversible diorama that is both the original comic cover that came with the figure, and then you flip it over and you get kind of more of an environment scene. So the, the fourth figure that we revealed just shortly was Toad. We were talking about the Wall of Toads earlier. Maybe there will be a new wall of 20th anniversary Toads, but um, he's been 20 years in the making. Fans have been asking for him repeatedly. He's been at the top of the wish list, so the guys went and kind of added a lot of bells and whistles from extra pieces and uh, really bringing this fan favorite back out for the first time in a long time. The new Toad figure is pretty cool and we've done some extra things to him like Ryan said. He's got a pivoting barbell on his hips that allow for his legs to get into super super low crouchy positions which you would want for a Toad figure. He's got his double arms and legs as far as articulation. He has two different heads with the longest tongue in our uh, Marvel Legends line today, I think, which is really, really gross and awesome at the same time. And then a more standard, just kind of wicked grin for uh, Toad. So, and Jesse worked closely with us to come up with the uh, color palette for it. Because every time we're doing one of these characters, when you go into the lore of Marvel 80 plus years now of comics and stuff, there's never a, this is the one to do. It's more, this is the one we're going to do at this point in time. Because there's, everybody loves a different chapter, a different book, a different era. So, you know, working with the master, Mr. Falcon, to figure out which costume we chose to do on this version was fun. And it was kind of a great way to cap off those first four original Marvel Legends uh, figures. Jared has a wicked tongue. <laughs> Isn't that what Magneto said? Yeah. <laughs> he does. That tongue is wonderful. He's going to be wonderful. But... He's not as gross as the original Toad. I love the just disgustingness of that original Toad. You can thank Phil Ramirez for that. We literally said, Phil, we got two figures for you to do, Wolverine and Toad. And he made one of the best looking sculpts I've ever seen of Wolverine. Bite marks all over him. And he was like a finger beckoning for more. And I just remember bringing that to a Comic-Con and Chris Claremont came up to him. And he like looked at it and he looked at Phil and I and he looked back at it and he goes, he's got the wrong finger up. And I'm like, you know what? That's a good <laughs> note. That's a pretty good note. He also, Phil, this is going to be a part of a two-pack. We just released the Wolverine as a single pack, which is why we had this tooled-up toad to begin with. Anyway, we just told Phil what the assignment was and let him design it, which is why it looks so disgusting. So thank you, Phil. God bless Phil. So, so good. We're going to do a little bit of a trivia thing in a second, but Ryan, is this correct? There have been over 1,000 six-inch Marvel Legend figures. Is that an accurate number? I am very confident in that. You know, if I've missed any, Jesse, that number will only go up. So, yes. No, you got me there. Like, honestly, <laughs> I, should, I should know how many we've made. Like, I, I feel like I, I like to have all of them to just see, like, oh, which characters have we done? Which ones haven't we done? But I don't know the actual number. Of these thousand, you know, we talked a little bit about some of the variety. What are some of the other types? You know, you mentioned Brood and Ultron. Ryan, what are some of those cool different types of figures that we've gotten? Sure. So earlier on, right, those bigger characters would, would need to be Build-A-Figures, and that's how the teams found space for them. But now that the Legends line continues to, you know, grow in popularity, we're able to do new things. So such as we have deluxe figures like, you know, your beloved MODOK. He was originally a Build-A-Figure back in Toy Biz, but when we put him out a couple years back, he was just a, a really cool deluxe figure that you could get all at once. So that's opened up some new doors for us, those characters like Ulick, MODOK, you know, a bunch of different kind of hulks. We have some movie deluxe figures. We just did Crow from the Eternals, and there's some other type things in the works. And we've also, you know, got into vehicles a little bit. That's something that the Toy Biz, they did a wave 
wave of legendary riders, you know, very beloved wave. And we've done some of those in Legends. We've gotten to do Professor Rex in his hover chair, Ghost Rider in his motorcycle, you know, Squirrel Girl on a scooter. So we're taking Legends still within a six inch scale into different directions. And with our HasLab crowdfund program that's run through the Hasbro Pulse, we do these massive larger than life dream type items. And so far, the two that we've done have been the Sentinel and Galactus, who are, you know, close to three feet tall, probably, and still technically within scale of the six inch legends, but meant to be towering over your standard collection there. So, you know, we're not done with HasLab as Dwight teased. There will be more HasLab news later this year, in all likelihood. Yeah, so those are just some of the things in addition to the normal guys and girls. And we've got some new, beautiful, big, thick boys coming your way. So you just gotta, <laughs> you just gotta give us a little time because I don't think Ryan will let me talk about them yet. But they're coming and they're thick. I love it, Dwight. You're speaking my language. As we wrap up our chat on Marvel Legends, what has it meant to each of you to be part of this 20-year legacy and moving forward into another 20 years, another 200 years? No one can stop you. You know, the brand is, it's crazy. Like I've been with the company for almost 30 years. And when I started, it was just two fellas in a room with sticks writing comic books in their brains. No, but seriously, it's the evolution of the storytelling and the global reach of the Marvel brand is, it's colossal. So this is just a part of it. This is just one small story in that big kaleidoscope of really cool stuff. So it's just been, for me, amazing to be a part of this whole thing and could not have done it without the Hasbro team. Yeah, I, I know for me, it's been an honor to be the uh, caretaker of this segment for so long. It's great to see a line that's lasted so long, not just because it's great product, but because there's so many great, amazing fans across the globe who love it and support it. Not just as adult fans, you know, but also seeing kids get a hold of these things and love them and play with them. And I think that's the coolest thing about this is when you make one of these things, each one of them is like a spark, right? It's that little spark that you can put into a kid's hands and it just fires their imagination to create whatever story that they, you know, to take whatever story they read in a comic or saw in a cartoon or in a movie. And now they have a piece of that in their hands that they can use as the fuel to do anything that they can imagine with it. And that's so cool. I don't know. It's humbling, right? These things are a lot more than just the little pieces of plastic that sit on your shelves. And that's pretty special. Sometimes people see on social media, you know, they love to complain to Jesse and Dwight and myself. But, you know, we, we share the praise, too. And it's like it's a team effort on, on all sides. Now you've got Marvel, you've got Disney, you've got Hasbro, all our global teams. And I'm actually like been working on the brand for seven years and I'm still one of the newer, younger guys, which is always kind of fun. But just there's been great consistency. And the people who, who make this are fans themselves. And so we really care and, and we try to do what's both best for business, but also great for fans. And I think something that is, is awesome with Marvel is that there's already so many lifelong fans, right? And as the real world and life get more complicated, the pull for that nostalgia gets stronger. So that's why all these fans, you know, continue to support Marvel Legends. And also with all the new entertainment and, you know, parents with kids and, and introducing a new generation of fans every day to Marvel, and we hope they, they continue to love Marvel and love Marvel Legends for the next 20 years. Dwight, I love what you said about the kids. Every time we have a Marvel movie open up, I go to my local theater on opening night, and I give away giant stacks of comics and toys to kids. I say, if you're under 13, come on up. I can watch their eyes when I give them a Marvel Legend. It's something special. So yeah, I truly appreciate that. You guys are doing great work. With that said, it's time to put your brains to work because Mr. Ryan Ting has set up a cool bit of trivia. It's the This Week in Marvel, Marvel Legends 20th Anniversary Trivia Challenge. We're going to pit Dwight against Jesse in a fun little trivia contest. The first one to buzz in. Lorraine, what should we say? Just say their name. How do you want to buzz in? Can you make us sound like a pterodactyl? Perfect. Uh, <laughs> That was pretty good. Jesse's I feel got it. solid about my. Nice I'm pretty gesture. sure Jesse has done some sort of pterodactyl sound for a voice chip or a video at one point or another. So, if the answer is a number or neither response is correct, the closest numerical answer wins. Ryan Ting, can you keep score for us? I will. All right, Lorraine and I. You know will my go... brain's like 80% pudding at this point in time, right? Oh, that's great. You've already set yourself up with an excuse. So good job. <laughs> We're going to... Uh... Dwight, Dwight, I have all my money on you. No pressure, Dwight. <laughs> Ready. Play. How many Build-A-Figures 
did Toy Biz make in total? <laughs> Jesse? Eight? I have no idea. It's just... <laughs> I'm going right? to go seven. Ooh, Ooh. Dwight. Dwight gets it. Which Toy Biz Build-A-Figure wave was the largest, meaning the most Build-A-Figure pieces to collect? I'm going to go with Galactus. Ooh. No? Jesse? I'm going to go with not Galactus. <laughs> Jesse takes it with not Galactus. <laughs> the answer was Giant Man. Yeah. Who? Well, technically, Galactus is a giant man, so you could... Yeah, yeah, there you go. Half points. <laughs> there were 10 individually packaged Build-A-Figure pieces for Giant Man. Mm. Not including international best of waves, how many Hasbro Build-A-Figure waves have been released in total? A lot. <laughs> 20? Think bigger, Jesse. Oh, well. I'll go, okay, I'll go 24. A lot higher. A lot higher? <laughs> 35. By my count, 80. Whoa! 80 is the answer. <laughs> yes. He's so mad. <laughs> So that one has to go to Dwight then. He was uh, yeah. four over. So good strategy, Dwight. I watch prices right. I know that. I know. It's like, this is it. <laughs> so 2022 is the 50th anniversary of Ghost Rider. So including variants, how many six-inch scale Ghost Rider figures have there been in Marvel Legends? Including variant. Are we talking Ghost Rider family or Ghost just like Danny Catch Johnny Blaze? Named Ghost Rider characters in the Legends branding, so not none of the movie stuff. Seven? I'm going to say seven. I'm going to go eight. I heard no pterodactyl sounds. <laughs> <laughs> Jesse? Seven. I'll say seven. Oh. <laughs> it's still wrong. Dwight? Ooh. <laughs> That's my new pterodactyl. Eight. Eight is great. Next question. Not including international best of waves. How many MCU Steve Rogers's, aka Chris Evans, Captain America Legends in the six inch figures have been released? Caw. <laughs> I'm going to say eight. Oh, I heard Dwight first. I'm going to go with nine. It goes to Dwight because there are actually 13. There are 13. Wow. That's a lot of Chris Evans. That's a lot of handsome. I think for this next question, because it's the last question, we should give at least 10 points for this question alone, thus making it the only important question. And it's a true or false, so time is of the essence. All five original Next Wave characters have appeared in Legend's six-inch line. Me? No, they have not. I would say yes, in some version. The answer would be they have, but not in their next wave costume. Yes, yes, you're right, you're right. Because we did do Boom Boom, but she wasn't in the costume. Yeah. That's right. Can we split that? They're both kind of right. We'll rematch in 20 years for the 40th anniversary. Yeah. Great. Uh, Ryan Lovely. Ting, what's the tally? So the final tally I have as Dwight with five points and Jesse with two points. But in the spirit of the competition, we're all winners because... <laughs> Legends is awesome, and we love it, and happy 20 years to us all. Happy 20 years to us all, indeed. Happy 20 years. Guys, thank you so much for talking with us. Thank you. Thank you, guys. What a pleasure. You can learn more over on Hasbro's website, or you can check out some of those cool premium things that we talked about at HasbroPulse.com. Go check out all of that stuff and celebrate Marvel Legends all year long. Blah. Yeah. They've been doing a lot of great stuff and a lot more to come. Yeah. But next week, we are going to have on some folks from Marvel Studios Moon Knight. So, you know, since next week we will be basically at our conclusion, I would love to know what was your favorite moment thus far from Marvel Studios Moon Knight? It's a great question, Lorraine. I... So many great bits and pieces. If you don't say cupcake truck. <laughs> I mean, cupcake truck is so good. It is so good. Although, May Kalamaui, oh. like, fighting all the dudes at, out, so at the good. outside sort of ruin thing. <sighs> was really cool. I don't know that I could put one specific moment to it, but I will say that all the interactions between Mark and Steven, especially as the series has progressed... I loved that so much, particularly as you get into episode five, seeing how they interact 
and what they mean to each other and how they play off of each other is really something special. And like huge shout outs to Oscar Isaac for playing those two roles because they really are two different different. characters and it's fantastic. Yeah. You can tweet us your answer using the hashtag this week in Marvel. You can email them to twimpodcast at marvel.com or you could send us a message on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash this week in Marvel. While you're there, like the page. Who's to stop you? And please make sure to tell us if it is quote unquote okay to read on the show so we can read it here on the show in our community section like we're going to do right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because our question of the week last week was, in celebration of the 20th anniversary of Marvel Legends, what is your favorite Marvel Legends action figure? First up, we got a tweet from Mr. Fiend at Mr. Fiend, who says, the three Marvel Legend Captain Britain figures. Each one is better than the previous figure. I love this line. How many other lines have lasted 20 years and produced as many separate characters? Not many, if at all. That's a really great point. Just being a like a toy collector or someone who's been aware of toys for a long time and action figures and collectibles, a lot of toys reboot and get new lines or like change directions and stuff. But Marvel Legends like pushes forward and it's it, it improves upon itself all the time, but it stays Marvel Legends, which is really, really neat. Mm-hmm. Next up, we have Nikki at Bloody Eye 98. <laughs> Got to go with one that started it all for me, which is the Toy Biz Series 2 thing. I know that figure uh, Obviously, well. Hasbro improved on that figure in 2017 and then perfected it even more in 2021. But the original has a special place in my heart. And that's exactly what we're talking about, right? Like, yeah. it's it's been going for 20 years. And, you know, also technology and toys have improved. But sometimes don't you just love the ones that you fell in love with? Oh, the best. Lorraine, reading when you read that, I got sense memory of the feeling of that figure. Like I can picture it. I know the shape of that thing figure, the feel of his, his rocky texture. It's man, so good. Mm -hmm. All right. Mjolnir and rails at Holmes V rails says right now, it's definitely the age of apocalypse Colossus. They nailed his appearance and the rest of the second age of apocalypse line slaps too. I'm pumped for all the new releases this year. Can't wait for more X-Men reveals. Mm -hmm. Next up, Ramon Lara at Rom Drums said, definitely the 20th anniversary Captain America, the one with the first wave started me into Legends and it has come full circle with the best cap until the next one gets released. Vision, Retro, Green, Yellow, and Red. Oh, that's classic. Uh, War Machine Deluxe, Ultron, Black Suit Spidey, Grim Reaper, Dark Phoenix, Silver Centurion are serious runners up. Why, why pick? Why pick one? Well, because we asked them to pick. Oh, okay. That's what we did. Anyway, Alexander Wolninski at Alexi97 says, there are too many to choose from. I'll limit myself to two. One, the Venom Pool build a figure from the Maximum Venom Wave because it's Venom Pool. And two, the retro series Spider-Man. He's my favorite hero and the articulation and paint applications make me so happy. Next up, we have Quaz at Quaz Without Fear, who said, The Walmart exclusive Doctor Strange has got to be one of the coolest Legends figures ever. I think it's just like a classic Doctor Strange because it has the blue mask Doctor Strange, which when I was a kid, I was not a Doctor Strange reader. But whenever I saw the the like superhero mask version, I was like, whoa, who's that guy? It always And he's got a Wanda Watoom. I know. I have that figure somewhere in a box over here. I'm like, do I want to pull him out? Charlie at Charlie underscore wins says, have loved Spider-Man since I knew what a spider was and haven't looked back. And Charlie includes a picture of himself with a huge collection of Spider-Man toys and a giant smile on his face. This is like, there's pure joy. This is extremely adorable. My gosh. I love this picture, Charlie. Thank you for sharing it. Next up, the Black Swordsman at Dark Joker Sin said, Retro Black Suit Symbiote Spider-Man. That figure is such a high quality figure that I can't put it down. Mm-hmm. Ethan at Dammit Ethan says, The Black Suited Spider-Man is pretty recent, but his new articulation is crazy. I can't stop posing him around when I'm at my desk. He's just too fun, which I love about Marvel Legends. I can't wait for the new 60th anniversary Spidey figure coming out soon. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jacob Stiben at Cubus underscore Stiben said, my favorite action figure is the one and only glorious God King Doom. Pure, amazing, pure, regal. All the best from Poland. Thanks, Jacob. Jacob, I agree with you. He's on my shelf right behind me. I love that figure so much. All Doom figures. All Doom! We have an email from Nico Gorstiza who says, my favorite Marvel Legends figure would have to be the Venompool big figure because... Deadpool is one of those comedy superheroes, plus him having a symbiote bonkers. Have a nice day, Ryan in the rain. Thanks, Nico. Thank you. All right, that wraps it up for us. This episode of This Week in Marvel is produced by Zachary Goldberg, Isabel Robertson, Lorraine Sink, and Ryan Panagos. Our senior manager of audio production and development is Brad Barton. Hi, Brad. And Jill DeBoff is our director of audio. And special thanks to the Wanda Watum. Wanda Wanda Watum? What do you use it for? Wanda might want a Wanda Watum. I'm Ryan. I'm Lorraine. This is Marvel. Your universe. Three, two, one.